Makes the dream work. Hey, look at that the thematically appropriate introduction. I went right into it. You sure did. <laughs> no cold open. <laughs> I went right into this brand new episode of Soon to Be a Major Motion Podcast with your hosts, The Bex. I am Billy. I am Cody. And we are The Bex. <laughs> Let's never do that again. I, hate I hated it. that. That was so awful. <laughs> <sighs> wow, back to a normal episode. Mm hmm. His last one was our Christmas Carol watch-along, which yes. was a fucking treat, because it was a night off for me. No editing. It was great. Uh, since then, we've had a whole Christmas and a New Year. Uh, guess what I forgot to do before we started recording? Did you forget to get the cat's treats? I forgot to feed them. Oh, shit. Uh, please continue while I feed our children. I mean, I can edit. <laughs> Also, just pause it. All right. Now that the children have had their wet meat. <laughs> their damp meat. Cody, how was your Christmas and New Year's? It was wonderful. Um, my exceptionally thoughtful husband. Who's got, that? <laughs> you, you haven't met him. Um, got me a weighted blanket and uh, what I'm affectionately calling my cozy, which is essentially a wearable blanket. <laughs> It is a hoodie made out of blanket, and it is extra, extra large. It is incredible. I can fit my entire body inside it, and I would not wear any other clothes if it were socially acceptable to do so. It's been, like, two weeks, Uh huh. and I think I've seen you outside of it for maybe 20 minutes total. Yes. Yes, this is your cross to bear. Hey, you know what? <laughs> it was an easy gift. <laughs> And it made you very happy, and that's what Christmas is about. The easy road. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how about how about you? How was your Christmas and New Year? Uh, fine. Christmas was good. Uh, we went to go see uh, The Boy and the Heron. Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki's latest retirement film. <laughs> Heyo Miyazaki's final film asterisk. I'm pretty sure the rumors are he was back in the studio as of September, like oh. before this even came out. Yeah, like there was that video that was doing the rounds a few weeks back of him yelling at his animators for doing AI animation. Good. Yeah. Good. Like he had a similar one 25 years ago with CG. Like he he just wants to draw his things and he wants to say things. And uh, so we saw the boy in the heron and he's definitely saying something. I don't know what, but he's saying something. <laughs> he he is he has some strong opinions that he's trying to get across. Yeah, we didn't do a bonus episode for that because I don't know what we would have talked about. We would have talked about many spoilery things, um, but we would have talked about what we think he's trying to say. Every spoilery thing would have been prefaced with "I think" and ended with "maybe." <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But, uh, non-spoilery, it's a Miyazaki movie, so gorgeous animation. It 
felt like a cross between Castle in the Sky and Spirited Away. Yeah, there are elements of both. A little bit, like, a weird amount of, like, the cat returns in there. Yeah, it had those vibes, too. It's, it's real person goes into spiritual realm. That almost might be too much spoiler. Because this, I don't, I haven't seen ads for it. I haven't sought them out, but I don't even know if they've advertised it. I Uh, went in completely in the dark, so. No, I think it's, I think it's clear, um, in that. One of the ads that I saw for it is just the heron being like, I'll be your guide while he's clearly walking down a pathway. So I'm going to say that's not a spoiler. Okay. Uh, Yeah. We we can't comment on the voice acting because we saw the uh, subbed version. Yeah, I was about to say I kind of want to see it again because I want to hear Robert Pattinson's performance. Because that is the one thing I've heard Mm -hmm. from that movie. Uh, I will say it's not my favorite Miyazaki I agree. I didn't hate the time I was watching it, but not my favorite. It was very... When we were leaving, you said said that it was not made for children, and I agree with you. It's, It's an animated movie, but the target audience is not children. No. I think children can glean some from it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that's the whole point of the, uh... people (laughs) okay i gestured with my arms in a fashion that communicated without spoiling anything yes uh but i think i think his target audience is old people like retirees like grandparents it's a movie for grandparents to take their kids their grandkids to i feel like i need to be a japanese person who has grown up in japanese society over the last 50 years to understand what he's trying to say yeah there's a lot of context i feel like we miss But also, the most important thing about this movie is that Studio Ghibli loves making a little guy. They love a little weirdo. They love a little guy, and they love (laughs) ugly old ladies. And I'm just, tattoo shops, just brace for impact on those little warawaras. Just little weird little guys. It's just a whole, you could do a whole sleeve of Studio Ghibli weird little guys. (laughs) I think I might. Uh, but that was that was Christmas. Yes. Uh, New Year's, we kind of just stayed in. We were very tired. We are old. Yeah, we <laughs> went to the weed shop that was having a 50% off sale. Yeah. Took advantage. Got absolutely ripped. <laughs> watched Taskmaster for like five hours. Yeah. And then sipped some champagne and fell asleep. Yep. And you know what? I wouldn't change a thing. But that said, we spent a lot of time talking about Boy and the Heron and other movies that we've seen. What is the movie that we are talking about this week? The movie that we are talking about this week is the 2012 David O. Russell film, Silver Linings Playbook. It was that late? 2012? 2012. Wow. Okay. Um, Shall we enjoy a trailer? Yes, let's. What? Hey, what's this? Didn't tell me you took him out. The court said yes. Yeah, but what did the doctor say? Can I do an interview for school project on mental illness? No. I'm ready. I feel motivated. I don't feel so angry all the time. 
The whole time you rooted for this Hemingway guy to survive the war and to be with the woman that he loves. It's four o'clock in the morning, Pat. I can't apologize. I will apologize on behalf of Ernest Hemingway, because that's who's to blame here. Yeah, have Ernest Hemingway call us and apologize to us, too. Pat, you have to have a strategy. I hate my illness, and I want to control it. I hope you're okay with Veronica's sister coming over. Tiffany and Tommy? Just Tiffany. What happened to Tommy? He died. How did he die? Please, don't bring it up. Hey, Tiffany. This is Pat. You look nice. Thank you. How'd Tommy die? What meds are you on? I used to be on lithium and Seroquel. I was on Xanax. You ever take Klonopin? Klonopin. Yeah. I'm tired. I want to go. Are you going to walk me home or what? You have poor social skills. You have a problem. I have a problem? Mm -hmm. You say more inappropriate things than appropriate things. Doc, she's crazy. Hey! Oh, what the hell? She knew where I was. She followed me. Then why don't you run somewhere else? Calm down, crazy. Maybe she just needs a friend. You want to have dinner at this diner? Pick me up at 7.30. So how's your job? I just got fired, actually. Oh, really? How? By having sex with everybody in the office. Everybody? I was very depressed after Tommy died. We don't have to talk about it. Thanks. How many were there? Oh, she's a mess. You gotta be careful. She does a lot of therapy. I go to a lot of therapy. Am I messed up? I just gotta get a strategy, you know? Me too. So there's this dance thing. I can only do it if I have a partner. Oh, yeah. I'm not gonna dance with you. So is this the girl you wrote about? You wrote about me? She's fine. She is my friend with an F. A capital F. She's fine. Poor friend. What are you so up about? I'm happy. Look, I'm my best self today, and I think she's her best self, and that's a good thing. Lost in my mind, lost in my mind, oh, I... I know you don't want to listen to your father, I don't listen to mine, but life reaches out with a moment like this. It's a sin if you don't reach back. This is what I believe to be true. You have to do everything you can, and if you stay positive, you have a shot at a silver lining. Thanks, I hate it. Let's get into it. I'm going to run down the uh, plot of the movie real quick for you. Have fun with that. <clears throat> Pat, an undiagnosed bipolar who recently had a violent outburst and attacked his wife's mistress, Mr., is released from a mental hospital in the cesspool that is Baltimore and returns to his parents' home in the sewage treatment plant that is Philadelphia. His father, Pat, lost his job and now runs an illegal sports book to save up money to open up a cheesesteak shop. He's also absurdly superstitious about Eagles games. Normal Philly behavior, if you ask me. Mother Dolores does her best as mediator to protect Pat from Pat's violent outbursts. I'll let you decide which Pat is which Pat. Pat Jr. thinks that reading his teacher wife's required reading and losing weight will get her to love him again. His friend Ronnie invites him to dinner where he meets Tiffany, a young woman who was rescued from her police husband by a rogue highway driver who struck him with her vehicle. She also has mental health issues and recently lost her job for being awesome. Pat and Tiffany strike up a friendship when she offers to get a letter to Nikki, the wife, if he partners with her during a dance competition. Pat Sr. bets the cheesesteak shop on an Eagles game, which he sends Pat Jr. to, but Pat gets into a fight at the tailgate and the birds lose. Typical Philly shit. Tiffany reads the juju and recognizes that the birds, and Phillies, do well when Pat's with her, and Pat Sr. goes double or nothing with the Birds-Cowboys season-ender, parlayed with Pat and Tiffany scoring a five or better at the dance competition. Birds win, they score a five, Pat confesses his love, and it all ends happily ever after. You know, your basic Philadelphia story. Did I miss anything? The point, but I guess you didn't miss it. Technically, I guess the 
movie writers did. Oh, I intentionally completely glossed over the whole point. <laughs> so you want me to run down the plot of the book? Just what's different. What, what subplots did we miss here? So, just a real quick question. Does he have a traumatic brain injury? Or was he just in the psych ward because he attacked somebody? He was in the psych ward for eight months because he caught his wife cheating with a tenured history teacher who he was the substitute for and beat him nearly to death in the shower and in the bathroom and in the hallway. But he did not get injured. You know, he has a scar on the bridge of his nose the whole time, and I don't recall them ever explaining it. So he doesn't have amnesia? He knows why he was in the psych ward the whole time? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, the book opens with Pat in the bad place, uh, son Pat, and his mother is coming to visit him, and, uh, she asks him if he wants to go home with her, and he does. All he knows is that he's been there for a few months, and, uh, it is, uh, he's undergoing what is called a part-time from his wife, Nikki, because they had a fight, and he doesn't remember what happened afterwards. So he is solely focused on ending a part-time, which he thinks he can do by improving himself with physical fitness and uh, bettering his mind and being uh, kind instead of right, which is what Nikki always told him he needed to be. That third part was kind of missed. I mean, it was present, but it wasn't explicit. Um, the book is also third person limited. It's told from Pat's point of view, and Pat is a deeply unreliable narrator. Mm. Um, so he goes home and he has a very strained relationship with his father. Um, his father is a typical old father. I don't know. He feels, he feels like a very, everyone in this movie, in this book is like a Philadelphia stereotype. <laughs> See, you say stereotype. Like, it's not an accurate thing? <laughs> Stereotypes can be accurate. It's just... <laughs> I mean, so when this movie came out, uh, I moved to Los Angeles maybe three months after it came out. Because I moved here in January 2013. Mm -hmm. And I was here maybe a month or two and got home from work and one of my roommates was, was watching it. He just started watching it. So I hopped on maybe ten minutes into the movie and watched the whole thing. And it was like going home. I was so homesick at the time, and I'm just like, I know so many people like these people. It's my people. They've got cheesesteaks. They're watching the birds. There's no fucking license plate on the front of these cars. Hollywood. <laughs> Pennsylvania, unlike California, does not require a license plate on the front of your vehicle. Just on the back. So every time you shoot something that takes place in Pennsylvania and you've got a Pennsylvania license plate with the numbers and letters on the front of the fucking car, I know that no one in your set decoration group has been to Pennsylvania. I'm looking at you, pretty little liars. <laughs> That's supposed to be in Pennsylvania? I think so. Ugh. I was at WB and they were shooting, I think it was Pretty Little Liars, and I noticed the Pennsylvania plates on the front and got just... Mad. I think I brought it up to the tour guide, and he was like, what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm like, rip him off. <laughs> so, Pat has, um, 
Pat is focused on positivity. Uh, and it, it's what I would refer to as toxic positivity, where nothing bad can ever happen. It's only ever for the good. And he's focused on his silver lining. And his whole view is that his life is a movie. He repeats throughout the whole book that he is not going to watch movies until he is back with Nikki because he is now watching the movie of his life as it happens. And so he spends 10 hours. He has a 10 hour a day workout regime. Um, and that's the bulk of his time. Uh, he, now that he's back home, he reconnects with his brother, um, who I believe is his younger brother. Uh, and they reconnect over the Eagles games. His brother has bought him a season ticket and his brother also bought him a Hank basket Jersey. What a weird fucking choice. (laughs) It was apparently he bought it before the season began and it was the, the book explicitly takes place in 2006 because they celebrate the new year of 2007. Which we'll have to talk about that. Yeah. And it is... Uh, he bought the jersey at the beginning of the year because he was an undrafted rookie and he was apparently supposed to be the new hotness. But then uh, about three or four chapters in, it starts talking about Dawkins. Not Dawkins. Um, the really, really good... I think he's a running back. I don't remember things. Brian Westbrook? No. Carol Owens? No. T.O. Is, is at the Cowboys at that point. I recognize his name. Like Angelo something. An Angelo who played for the 2006 Eagles? I thought so. It's not Westbrook. It's not Dawkins because that's the Asian invasion. <laughs> it's... <laughs> you know, and this is when I was watching the Eagles like every fucking week. Yeah, I don't remember his name. I'm sorry. Carell Buckhalter? No. No, it was a shorter name. Well, it wasn't... <laughs> talking Jason Avant? No. Because the running backs were like Buckhalter. I don't know if it was a running back. Whoever catches things. That would be a wide receiver. Okay, maybe it's a wide receiver then. Dante Stallworth? Yes. Ah, all right. Yes, Stallworth was like the big deal. He He becomes the big deal. Yeah. So he bonds with his brother over that. And he's kind of shocked at the changes in his neighborhood because he thinks he's only been in the, um, he calls it the bad place. He thinks he's only been in there for a couple of months. I mean, most people call Baltimore the bad place. (laughs) It is revealed, I believe, in the third or fourth chapter that he has actually been in there for four years. I'm building a (laughs) headcanon that the movie I watched is the movie that he's imagining. It may be. Except the year is wrong. Uh, so he also reconnects with his best friend, Ronnie, and apparently Veronica, who is Ronnie's wife, which, what is it with couples that have the same fucking name? Like, you know, their grandkid is going to be Charlie Bucket, right? (laughs) (laughs) So Ronnie is married to Veronica and Pat keeps making disparaging comments in his little, his head about Veronica. And it's clear that this is something that his wife said. His ex-wife, Nikki, said. Mm. Um, But it's just like, you never get anything about anything from her, but that she's, like, nice to him. And she might be, like, a little bit sarcastic. So they have a child. And he, like, really bonds with this toddler, uh, Emily. And um, they sort of rebuild their friendship. And he gets introduced to Veronica's sister, Tiffany, who... Is, was married to Tommy, who passed away in an accident. And 
It's clear immediately that they are trying to set them up, which Tiffany picks up on and Pat does not. There's a very Flowers for Algernon feel to Pat throughout this book. Because there's like, he just, he feels dumber than... It it felt to me, um, because that's present in the movie as well, after that first dinner, she's straight up tells him like, you can fuck me if you want to, I... Yes. I don't like that jersey. Take the jersey off, or we'll fuck in the dark. But mm-hmm. and I feel like it's a like a a forced naivety. Like he understands because he admits towards the end of the movie that he fell in love with her the moment they met. But he's still like, no, my goal, as I told myself for months in the mental hospital, is get back with Nikki. Yeah, he still wears the wedding ring. Like, no, I can't because I would be doing to her what she did to me. I can't cheat on my wife with this woman, even though. I care about her. She cares about me. And very clearly, my wife wants nothing to do with me. There's a restraining order. I think it's fine if you fuck, buddy. (laughs) Yes, there's actually double restraining orders, which you don't find out till later. It's her and the school. No, it's actually uh, his family took one out on her. Oh. To prevent her from contacting him because they thought they would jeopardize his mental health. Not in the movie. Yeah. Um, It's also implied that... uh, it's retribution for her getting all of the assets because of what he did. Mm, yeah. Um, so the book then becomes about the relationship between him and Tiffany because he also has a therapist who's a great character. Um, Cliff. Cliff. And Cliff is also an Eagles fan and they bond over that. And Cliff also is kind of like positive, but not uh, toxic positive. He's just like, hey, do this. Take this spin on things. Um, and he's very helpful. Uh, and he makes Pat feel that he's on his side when everyone else is against him. Eventually, Tiffany's like, hey, I can get in contact with your ex-wife, um, but you have to understand that this puts me in a weird legal position. And I also need something from you. I need a dance partner because I need to win this competition it's dancing away depression. So the dance competition is uh, he she forces him to give up Eagles football, which actually becomes part of they call it the Pat Peebles curse because the Eagles start losing as soon as he stops going to games. Because they're winning until he until he stops going. Mm. So they're they're four and one when he stops and then they end up going. Uh, I think they end up four and four by the time that uh, the dance recital is because they've got a month to practice uh they do amazing at the dance recital and then she's like so just so you know there's not actually a prize i just said that to motivate you but i will totally be your liaison to nikki uh he goes back to eagles football he starts trading letters with nikki and the letters that he gets from nikki are basically like hey i'm trying to give you closure i don't want to see you i'm remarried i'm fine i'm i'm done and uh, I'm very proud of you for all the changes that you've made, but th- the part of our lives where we were together is over. And he just plows right through all those signs and is just like, well, I see you told me to read Huck Finn, which is about how um, even though Huck is like, even though uh, the government thinks slavery is okay, I think it's wrong and I'm following my heart. So maybe I should follow my heart and we should actually be reunited. <sighs> and then she sends him another letter that's just like, no, I sent you that recommendation because 
I wanted you to enjoy reading the book. That's all. We're done. No more conversation. And then he's like, we should be on, we should meet at the place where you, where I proposed to you at LaSalle University on Christmas Day. And they go, he goes on Christmas Day, he sneaks out of the house and goes, um, and meanwhile, his father and mother are, like, fighting in the background because his dad is treating him like garbage the whole time. Like, he has an episode early in the book and his dad actually beats the shit out of him. Granted, he does push his mother over because he's having a, a freak out, but his dad beats the shit out of him and, like, refuses to talk to him. And his mom puts down a, uh, a an ultimatum that is basically like, I am not going to clean the house. I'm not going to cook for you. I'm not going to be your wife. I am on strike until you do these five demands, which is basically like, you have to be nice to me. You have to be nice to Pat. You have to do stuff with us and act like a human family person. So that's going on in the background. Uh, and on Christmas Day, Pat sneaks out of the house. He goes to um, the place where he proposed to Nikki and who shows up at Tiffany and is like, hey, I wrote those letters. I was pretending to be Nikki. I was trying to give you closure the way that I finally have closure uh, with the death of my husband. And he freaks out, runs away from her in North Philly, gets mugged, uh, gets the shit beaten out of him and happens to run into uh, the house that he happens to find his way to when he's asking for help is his friend Danny from the mental institution. Danny was a rapper who it's not really clear. He just also had a traumatic brain injury uh, and got dumped into Baltimore Harbor, <laughs> the inner harbor. And um, they bonded and he happens to end up. Danny just got out yesterday, went back to his aunt's house, who was the woman that raised him. And he's like, hey, this is like a miracle. He goes to the hospital and he kind of realizes at this point, because all the information that Tiffany gave him, like the fact that his wife is remarried, the fact that they are divorced, um, and the fact that he committed a crime, which is why there is a restraining order, um, that's all accurate. And eventually he has a breakthrough and realizes it and remembers, because this whole time he's had amnesia and doesn't remember why uh, they separated. But it turns out that he caught Tiffany. He was a history teacher and a sports coach uh, at the school. And his wife was cheating on him with Philip, who was also a teacher. I'm not sure if that was at the same school or if it was at a local college. And he caught them together and basically almost killed Philip, uh, almost strangled him to death. And Tiffany hit him in the head with a CD player. And caused him to fall forward and bash his head onto the faucet in the bathtub, which gave him a traumatic brain injury. And that's why he was in the bad place for four years. I think that happens in a flashback scene when he remembers the attack. Uh -huh. But there's never any memory loss mentioned, and it's only eight months. Yeah, it's... Uh, it is four years. Because yeah. <laughs> so, he's shocked. So the dance recital thing happens in, like, October? It happens, yes. Because it happens after Christmas. It's the last, it's the climax of the movie. It's the dance recital. No, it's like... And there's only like three letters sent, and he realizes like the response letter, uh, Tiffany says something that's the same phrase that's in the letter, and he realizes it. 
No, he he doesn't realize it until she shows up and tells him the truth. Um, and then finally, he also gets a very long heartfelt letter from her. That's from Tiffany. That's basically like, hey, I'm sorry. I know I fucked up, but you are like the best thing that's happened to me in a long time. And she explains her side of the story with regards to her sex addiction. Um, and basically her side of the story is that the day that her husband died, it wasn't even a fight that they had. Basically, she was like, we were married for 10 years and sex all the time, constantly. She's like, I just, it was too much of a good thing. We, j we finished having sex for like under the breakfast table. I climbed out from under the table, poured myself coffee and was like, hey, maybe we should have sex less often. And he was like, what? You mean you don't love me anymore? And she's like, no, I just don't want to have sex 10 times a day. And he left for work. And uh, later, apparently, they found out that he went to the mall on his lunch break. And they found in his squad car a bag full of Victoria's Secret lingerie that was all in her size. And uh, he ran into, not literally, but he saw the lady that needed help with her car uh, on his way back to work, and that's when the drunk, when he was helping her, that's when the drunk driver hit him. So Tiffany blamed herself for his death. So similar but different in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing where he's helping somebody on the side of the road and gets hit by a uh, local hero. Um, I know how Philly feels about cops. Grease <laughs> the polls, win or lose. The thing is, <laughs> hell yeah, uh, they weren't having sex anymore. So they went to the King of Prussia Mall together. Yes, it's specifically the King of Prussia Mall. Of course Mall, it is. Which you know you and I have been to together ourselves. And I love the local Philly shit. Um, and it's on the way back from that that he gets he gets hit. Mm. Uh, so she still blames herself, just not quite in the same way. Yeah. And basically they meet up after New Year. Uh, after he gets his, because his leg got broken in the mugging. So this is probably like the end of winter. Like it's probably like February or so. Mm. Um, they meet up and basically they she gives him a late birthday slash Christmas present, which is a cloud watching guide. Because she noticed that when they were running together, he would always be looking up at the clouds. And they end up laying. Looking for that silver lining. Yes, literally. <laughs> As it's written in his playbook. <laughs> So she got him this gift and he realizes like his time with Nikki is done because he actually had his brother drive him down to their old house where she still lives. And he saw her new family because she has kids now. And he realized that his time with Nikki is over. He actually has closure now. He realizes that Nikki is happier without him and he was a shitty husband uh, and a bad person. And he is now a different person and a better person. And uh, he and Tiffany, I keep wanting to call her Jennifer because it's <laughs> just basic white bitch name. If only the actress didn't like. <laughs> and they end up cuddling together and watching the clouds. And then they, uh, that's the end of the book is, is them watching clouds together and her like quietly crying on his shoulder uh, because they're together now, and even though they're fucked up, they fit together like Philadelphia. I love Philadelphia, and I hate it, and I love it. Um, 
It makes sense that it took David O. Russell five years and 25 rewrites to get the script in order. Uh, the way he condensed everything down into something palatable for Hollywood makes a lot of sense to me based on what you just told me. Yeah. Uh, having the dance climax where they're just kind of shitty at dancing is great. Oh, they're incredible in the book. They're Oh, they're terrible. They are so bad. What is what is the song in the movie? There's it's a medley, but in the middle of it it's fell in love with a girl by the white stripes. <laughs> so, throughout the whole montage of the um of the dance scene, because he literally describes it as a montage, because his life is a movie. Yeah. He never mentions what the song is. He just talks about how it starts with slow piano, and it's sad, and it's a duet. And you finally get to the recital, and they're performing. And he finally says the name of the singer, and he says it starts with the slow, soft piano. And Bonnie Tyler starts singing. It's total eclipse of the heart. Oh my god. It is not... That song is not in the movie. He talks about how he is so deeply moved by this song that he is sobbing the first time he hears it. Oh, what a sad boy. What a sad, sad boy. And then there's the reveal that it's fucking total eclipse of the heart. And I was like, no! That's fucking hilarious. I love that. Uh, I I love the dance scene as the climax of this uh, because they are terrible dancers uh, and they need to score a five. I assume there's nothing about Pat Senior's betting or is that all? No, his dad is just an asshole with a nine to five. Fantastic. Uh, So they have basically his future cheesesteak shop on the line if the Eagles beat the Cowboys and they score a five out of ten at this dance recital. Eagles beat the Cowboys 44-6. I remember watching that game. What a fucking treat. Uh, fuck the Cowboys. I got mad on my way home from work today because the van in front of me had a fucking Cowboys license plate frame. And I wanted to punch him. Anywho, <laughs> you can take the boy out of Philly. When they do the dance and the scores are coming up and it's like 4.8, 4.9, 4.8... and it averages to to five the other dancers are like oh i'm sorry guys it's okay you'll do better next time and like they go fucking yeah and then the dad and the mom and like ron you're like yeah let's go and they're fucking losing their minds and everyone in the the hall is like what the fuck are they doing it's So, so good uh, Tiffany is actually an incredible dancer. She wants to open her own dance studio. See, here's the problem. Tiffany was played by Jennifer Lawrence, who, as we've discussed previously, is a clumsy fuck. True. She said that Bradley Cooper was a better dancer than her. Just fair. effortless. Fair. It's not fair. You can't be hot and good at dancing. That's not how that works. Uh, that's, that is how that works. No, it's Have not Have you ever fair. seen a dancer who's not hot? A good one. See? Hot people dance, man. <laughs> well, then why don't you dance? You didn't see me dance in high school. I had fucking moves, bro. You didn't even hit puberty yet. I was still hot and I could still dance. <laughs> I need a hunt. You've seen Seussical. You've seen that DVD of my high school production of Seussical. No, I haven't because you won't let me watch we it. We watched it together with my mom and sister. 
Yeah, and you were angry the whole time. Yeah, because I was embarrassed. Because I was a child and it was awkward. You didn't see Footloose when I did Footloose? Correct, I did not. I had fucking moves, man. I had moves for days. I did not have moves. <laughs> I had move for minute, maybe. <laughs> so, uh, the themes of the book. Pat has some really, like... I get that he has a traumatic brain injury, but it's really interesting how the author uses that to kind of, like, solidify and calcify some of these really toxic attitudes. Like, he's so focused on physical fitness. Like I said, 10-hour exercise routine. Yeah, it's absurd. It's a... It's a compulsion. It's a disorder for him. Because if he doesn't do it, he has to do it later. Like, when he has the the Eagles games, the days that the Eagles play, he will get up at, like, four in the morning so he can do half of his routine before and half of it after so that he gets all ten hours of it in. Or, like, his abbreviated runs are five miles instead of his normal ten or fifteen. It's not, like... That explicit in the film. I I do like that they wrote the brain injury out. Because it more... It it, it destigmatizes mental illness a little bit. Because that is a major thing about it is like the toxic masculinity as well. Like one of the first things his father says, uh, played by Robert De Niro. Mm -hmm. One of the first things he says is I'm not superstitious as he's adjusting the direction, the remotes on the table face and how the TV is positioned. And he wants to make sure that his son is sitting right next to him because as soon as he gets up, the Eagles will lose. And it just kind of, it adding that brain injury would give an excuse to the behavior more, whereas just acknowledging that, yes, there's a mental illness at play, it's been diagnosed as an adult, you gotta take your meds, and he does start taking meds, even though they make him feel foggy, he does start taking them, and they do start to help. He, the brain injury is almost treated opposite, it almost, like, shakes him out of the patterns that he was in, so he starts recognizing the inherent, like, problems with the way he used to be. Like, the be kind, not right. Yeah. Um, there's two scenes in the book that are... Alright, are we back? Are we... <laughs> so... Thank you, Audacity, for <laughs> fucking saving what we did when the, the outlet that the computer was plugged into died? Is that something else we can bring up on January 30th when they have the reinspection? I needed to take a day off. I forgot to do that. Um, so you were making a point mm-hmm. about mental illness when... Uh... Yes. Uh, so there's two bits in the move, or in the book where I brought it up to you. Um, because they use a Giants fan and a Cowboys fan as an example. Um, I don't remember the Cowboys thing as much, as clearly, as the Giants fan. Um, but basically, there's a, gi- there's a guy that shows up in a Giants jersey for the Eagles-Giants game at the tailgate. And he has a little kid with him who's also in a Giants jersey. And the adult is like... 
the Eagles fans are ragging on him. It's fine. And then um, his Pat's brother starts chanting asshole at this guy and slowly a mob of Eagles fans forms and they're chanting asshole at this guy. And the little kid is clearly terrified and ultimately ends up crying. And when the little kid starts crying and they recognize that he's actually scared is when the crowd disperses and they're like, ah, it's fine, it's fine. And then the Giants fan comes and goes after Pat. And just like, hey, do you like making little kids cry? And Pat's like freezing because he's like, I actually didn't like that. I didn't want to be part of that. Like the little kid was scared. He doesn't say this. This is all in his head. But then his brother, uh, I think his name is James. Jake? Jake. Jake, yes. Um, His brother kind of gets in the Giants fan's face and the Giants fan basically knocks him over and um it's not clear i think it's from his hands but he like from skidding along the parking lot because he's a little drunk he kind of like cuts open his hands and he's bleeding a little bit and at that point pat gets really upset and actually kind of breaks a little bit and he lays out the giants fan and he feels guilty about this for days even after talking to his therapist about it and it's just funny that they use a giants fan (laughs) to demonstrate that other fans are people too. And it's like, if he were, if, if the traumatic brain injury hadn't happened, if he would just happen to be going to this event, if he hadn't done all this self-improvement work that he thought he needed to do to get Nikki back, that would have been a nothing. Because even his therapist is like, dude, Giants fans are fucking assholes. Sorry, Logan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I remembered the Cowboys thing now. Terrell Owens. Yeah. T.O. He was on the Eagles... And he ended up getting basically let go, kicked off, whatever. It was a whole thing. It was like, it was nightly news drama. He was doing, I remember he was doing sit-ups in his fucking driveway in his cul-de-sac when he should have been at practice and like news crews showed up. It was a whole fucking saga. Practice? Talking about practice? That was Allen Iverson. I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I get the Philadelphia sports drama confused. Yeah, it's all fair. Yeah, they threw batteries at Santa Claus, right? Get out of here. Miss me with that shit. <laughs> they miss Santa Claus. Um, no, they hit Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember if I talked about this on pod, but uh, the Eagles posted a thing about that, like a retrospective about that on social media. I think I retweeted it from the pod account. And uh, <laughs> the guy who played Santa Claus, like he, he was just at the game dressed as Santa Claus. And the Santa Claus they hired for the halftime shit wasn't there so they pulled this dude out the crowd and he was getting pelted with snowballs and he's just yelling back at because he's an eagles fan himself he's just yelling back like you're getting coal in your stocking today like oh uh, what a legend it was so overblown by the media it was nothing it was fucking nothing and anyway so um terrell owens yes around this time around the time he left and um went to the cowboys he overdosed on pills which some people thought the media was reporting as a suicide attempt which of course strikes our main character because he's like man 
I'm on a lot of pills and people are saying really disparaging things about this guy. And like, if he actually has mental health issues, don't they understand that them saying nasty things about him actually hurts my feelings? It is the typical example of a white cis man having to have something affect them personally for them to understand that words have have meanings and can hurt other people. Yup. This whole book is just white cis man learns that other people have feelings and other people are people. Yeah, pretty much. Which, uh, unfortunately, a lot of Philadelphians <laughs> don't completely understand. The scene with the Giants fan is a little different in the movie. And it is... I, I'll be up front. I love this movie. It speaks to me as somebody who's Trash an Eagles fan. Philadelphian. Like, especially this watch with a strained relationship with a father. And a, an Eagles fan with, like, some mental health things. Like, I'm coming to terms with my mental health shit. And I have been over the last couple of years. And honestly, I think I've been better for it. So I, it resonates with me a lot. But I could tell watching this movie that David O. Russell is not a Philadelphian. He doesn't understand. So the Giants fan thing, that's the only game he goes to in the movie. And it's not a Giants fan he gets in a fight with. It's a drunk Eagles fan comes up and starts being racist towards the Asian invasion. And that's when the fight breaks out. Ah. Uh. Now, granted, I full disclosure, I have not been to an Eagles tailgate. But I know a lot of Eagles fans. And yes, a lot of Eagles fans, I'm sure, are racist. But on game day, when you see someone in that green, they are your brother. You would not, no matter how drunk and racist you are, you walk by a bunch of dudes in Dawkins jerseys, Dawkins the fucking man. They're your buddies. We're going to war today against the, the Giants. Fuck the Giants. I have no idea why he made that decision. The second thing he did that tells me he's not from fucking Philly is he changed the year. So the book takes place in 2006. Yes. The movie takes place in the fall of 2008. And while, yes, the Eagles had a great year that year, I think they made the NFC Championship game that that playoffs like they went far in the playoffs that year something else was happening on broad street in october and november of 2008 and it's when the phillies won the fucking world series and the only reference to the phillies winning the world series in this movie is the scene where tiffany uh just lays down pat senior and his superstitions and says, actually, the good luck is when Pat Jr. is with me. On this day when we were playing, Birds beat the Seahawks. On this day, they beat the Niners. And on this day, the Phillies won 10-4 in the World Series. And I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, that was happening. Why is there no Phillies anything anywhere in this movie? I understand probably the MLB didn't release it or they didn't ask for the rights. But what the fuck? That's the thing, is that like... L.A. is, that feels like an L.A. decision because L.A. is like Dodgers. And Raiders. 
Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like you don't you don't see people that are both. Like you see people that are both, but they're always more one than the other. Whereas Philadelphia, it is it is a Philly sports team. We are fans of that sport. Five for five is is a common statement. Uh, you'll hear four for four a lot from people that don't follow soccer. Yes, but we're a five for five town. Yeah, you follow the teams. It is Philly sports or bust. And th- they make a point that like, or she makes the point rather that yeah, the Phillies won. And we all love it, but there's no reference to it. it, and it's such an unnecessary change. And it's just this fucking New Yorker coming in and rewriting and directing this Philadelphia piece of art, can just we, taking the Philadelphia out of that. Can we also talk about the fact that he lives in New Jersey? He doesn't live in New Jersey. He lives in Ridley Park. He lives in New Jersey in the book. In the movie, it's Ridley Park. He lives Come in New me. Jersey. Yes. You know, to be fair, South Philly is basically a Philly suburb. Or South, South Philly. <laughs> South Jersey is basically Philly suburbs. <laughs> I just, See, it's so easy for me to con- conflate the two. <laughs> he is talking about, I think I think his town is Collingsworth or something, that which tracks. is Jersey. Yeah. But I was like, you, th- I thought this was Philadelphia. I thought you were going to live in like... Havertown or some shit. No, you live in fucking Jersey. I'm I'm looking up right now where Co- uh, Collingswood. Yes, Collingswood. Uh, it is just past Camden across the river. So yeah, it's essentially if Collin Collingswood is closer to Philly than where I grew up. So I I'm okay with that. The the writer. We all we all know that the south half of New Jersey wants to be Philly, and the north half of New Jersey wants to be New York. That's fine. No New one Jersey, wants to be Jersey, except for Chris Gethard. And you know what? He can have it. <laughs> he can have the armpit. Um, the the author Matthew Quick is from Camden. He was born in New Jersey. Okay. Yeah, and I mean Camden's right across the Delaware from from Philadelphia. Yeah. But um, in in the movie, they shot it in Ridley Park, and uh, I think Upper Darby. So just like I think they actually shot in Havertown, maybe a bit. Yeah, I know they, they thanked they thanked Ridley Park and Upper Darby in the credits. I didn't do any research on where they actually shot it. I know that uh, the guy that introduced me to Hunger Games, or that introduced me to Jennifer Lawrence, who was obsessed with her, uh, he was from that town, and apparently he went to that diner and sat in the same booth so he could oh, say he sat real? where she sat. Yes. Aww. Um, that is totally something he would do. It is. I don't want to name him and put him on blast. <laughs> but it's not like John is an uncommon name. Like. <laughs> so, the other thing with the traumatic brain injury is that, um, like you said, it's kind of personal for you. Um, my brother had a traumatic brain injury yeah. a couple of years ago. And through that process now i i was not there for it every day but my understanding of it from family members because of course i'm across the country um and also just like stuff that i've read and that kind of thing is that when you have a traumatic brain injury it is the equivalent of a death because part of you dies yeah and i feel like that's important for this story because he does kind of have this second childhood where he is being reborn into this new and better person um, and that's, that sort of feels like that's how he's breaking out of these, uh, breaking out of these old patterns of this toxic masculinity. Like his dad doesn't bet on him and his dad doesn't, um, 
it really feels like they made his dad more palatable. His dad is just run-of-the-mill, emotionally abusive old guy. It's very, it's very yeah, standard like, Philly shit. It's very like new, new generation versus old generation stuff mm-hmm. because his brother marries a very talented uh, concert pianist. I believe she's a concert pianist, um, and she is from New York and she's like beautiful and upper upper crust, upper class. And apparently his father had a really hard time with it. And his father it's similarly similarly described as having a hard time with um Pat when he gets married. Because her family is also kind of like above them. And it's in the book Pat is kind of a himbo. Uh he's described it like he is a history teacher. Um, but he's described as, like, he's always kind of, like, focused and, like, kind of like a jock. I think one of the first notes I took is that I could see this role being played by Jeff May, who is also a former history <laughs> oh, teacher. absolutely. And Jeff May kind of looks like Bradley Cooper. I would pay. Jeff, please listen to our podcast when you have time. I would pay <laughs> money to see Jeff May in Eagles merch. Make him Oh, put, he would suffer. Make him put on a goddamn Phillies ball cap. No, make him put on a World Champions Super Bowl when they beat the Patriots. Is he a Patriot? He's fan? from Boston! Oh, oh, I'm going to unsubscribe to your Patreon, Jeff. Didn't you already? No, I'm oh. still subscribed. I support my friends. Fair. Um, but that aside. <laughs> Anywho. Anywho. Enough roasting of a much more popular comedian than us. It really just... I don't even remember what my point was. I got distracted. Himbo. Himbo. Uh, he's very much like a jock who's very focused on physical fitness and like he was more focused on the coaching of the of the um teams and he talks about how he that was one of the complaints that nikki had for him was that he was coaching these three teams and he was working all the time they were both working all the time they never saw each other and he's also like the guy that she ends up cheating on him with philip uh he calls Jay or he calls Pat an illiterate buffoon, which is one of the reasons that Pat starts reading these books. Mm. The books off of her American literature syllabus. And it's very I'm shifting gears because now I'm thinking about something else. It's interesting how Nikki is such an important part of this book, and you never actually hear anything from her. Yeah. It's all through the eyes of everyone else. So you see her through Pat's eyes, which are just completely... Rose-colored glasses. Rose-colored glasses. She's perfect. She could do no wrong. Everything was my fault. You see her from his family's point of view, and his family fucking hates her. And you also... I feel like, weirdly, the most objective view you get of her is from Tiffany. Because she has no real dog in that fight. I mean, she, she is falling in love with Pat... Yeah, but, like, she knows that Nikki's not in the picture. Yeah, and I feel like she she kind of sees, like, okay, I can see how this happened, and I see how these are two different people, because they were married for, it's not made explicitly clear, but they were married for probably four or five years, and they've now been separated for four or five years, mm-hmm. um, and they got they got engaged while they were still in college, um, they were very young when they got married, 
And it's kind of like, it feels like a classic case of like people just growing apart. But it really feels like that reliability of the narrator is very important in this book. Yeah. And it kind of slips in the movie. Like that, that, that element of it slips in the movie because it's, it's a movie. Speaking of, do you want to do some fun movie stuff before we wrap this up? Yeah, let's do some movie stuff. All right. So, uh, directed by David O. Russell, who directed Three Kings and The Fighter. Written by David O. Russell, who wrote American Hustle and Joy, which also starred Bradley Cooper and Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence. Uh, Pat, played by Bradley Cooper, you know, Wet Hot American Summer, The Hangover. Uh, Tiffany was played by Jennifer Lawrence, The Hunger Games, the X-Men Trilogy, we've talked enough about her. Friend of the pod, Jennifer Lawrence. Friend of the pod. Pat Sr. is played by Robert De Niro, Godfather Part Two, Taxi Driver, you know, that guy. <laughs> Uh, Dolores, the mom, who I think she has a different name in the book, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think she does, but I don't think we ever actually learn her name. Uh, she's played by Jackie Weaver, who is in Animal Kingdom and The Disaster Artist. Uh, yeah, I didn't... I recognized her, and I think it's from Disaster Artist. Future Probably. episode of the pod. <laughs> no. You'll love that book. That book is fascinating. Um, Cliff is played by Anupam Kerr. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He was in uh, Bend It Like Beckham, Hotel Mumbai, and a bunch of Indian cinema that I don't know. Bollywood. Yeah. Uh, Danny is played by Chris Tucker. Uh, you may know him from Fifth Element and Rush Hour. And this was, I think, the first non-Rush Hour movie he did since, like, 1997. He was like, eh, I need to beef up those those royalty checks. And he's so subtle in it, too. He's <laughs> great. He just, like, shows up as, like... A Pat Jr. substitute at one point. <laughs> like, Pat comes back from a dance practice, and his dad is like, we're winning, and it's because your buddy's here. And he's, like, holding a handkerchief and a remote, and he's not allowed to move. <laughs> he's like, we're winning. And then, like, the mental hospital comes to take him back because he wasn't supposed to be released yet. Oh, And I he don't... keeps finding, like, loop, like legal loopholes to get released. It's, it's fun. Uh, Veronica is played by Julia Stiles. Okay. From uh, 10 Things I Hate About You and the uh, Bourne movies. I can see why you would cast her for that role. She's great. Uh, Ronnie is played by John Ortiz. He was in a few Fast and Furiouses, and he was in Bumblebee. Which which Fast and Furiouses? I think he was in 4 and 6. He was, he was I think, the villain in 4, if I'm not mistaken. Or he was related. Oh, okay. He was related to like the drug traffickers in the fourth one. Okay. I say 4. Fast and Furious, if you want to get particular. <laughs> And uh, Jake was played by Shea Wiggum, who was also in the Fast and Furious movies as a CIA agent, and he has CIA face. Of course, he does. Uh, he was also in Vice. He's a he's a, a stock tra- like a day trader, basically in the books. Yeah. Um, so the book is like based on what you described and what I read, pretty dark, or like not dark, but like raw. It's- yeah, it's a little more raw, it's a little more dense than it feels like the movie is. And it's not, like, palatable. As palatable, like, for a Hollywood audience as the movie is. Yeah. The way that they got that balance is specifically with the dance and with Robert De Niro's uh, scenes. They shot them multiple times with multiple levels of intensity. Okay. So that they could, like, balance, basically, the drama and the the levity in the editing room. Which I think is a fascinating way to do that. Interesting. Yeah, okay. that, that was uh, interesting to me. Uh, you know what we always love. Alternate um, casts. 
Oh, yes. We no, didn't... I didn't hear anything about anyone being a menace. How dare you not have a menace on this set? They shot it in 33 days. They didn't have time to have a menace. <laughs> the menace was the city of Philadelphia. Let's be real. Fair. Fair. Um, the original plan, uh, before they ended up actually making the movie, was Vince Vaughn and Zoe Deschanel. Oh, no, I hate that. I also don't like that at all. Um, I think, for the record, I think Jennifer Lawrence is perfect casting. She's incredible. She won an Oscar for it. I mean, and that's, you can say what you want to say about the Oscars and the legitimacy of them. Her performance is great. There's layers to it. Like, for an actress who was 21 when she shot it, there are some fucking layers. She was supposed to, she's supposed to be older than Oh, yeah, they, they changed it to her. She was only married for three years because she's so young. And I think that's also why they changed um, the time Pat was in the institution from like four-ish years down to eight months <laughs> was because Bradley Cooper is still relatively young. He's he's supposed to be 35 in the book, but he says he feels 30. Yeah. Because he doesn't remember how old he is. <laughs> um, they originally cast Mark Wahlberg and Anne Hathaway. Absolutely not Wahlberg. To Boston. You can't have the most Boston man to ever boss play a Philadelphian, right? Anne Hathaway's too... I think she could do it, but I feel like she's a little too clean. She dropped... She needs to be a little gross. She dropped because she had to do Dark Knight Rises. Okay. Yeah. And other actresses... Here we go. Oh, boy. Okay. Friend of the pod, Elizabeth Banks... She could do it. Friend of a friend of a friend, Kirsten Dunst. She could also do it. I can see her being kind of gross. Angelina Jolie. Nope. Blake Lively. No. She looks... She has old money face. Absolutely not. The one I want to see. Rooney Mara. Ooh, yeah. Rooney Mara could do very well. Rachel McAdams. Kind of the same problem with Blake Lively. Yeah. She's She looks too... She, she looks too rich. She she never struggled. Correct. And Olivia Wilde. Eh. Uh, here's another fun thing I found out. Uh, so, the title. Silver Linings Playbook. Yes. That makes sense to you and I. We grew up speaking English. Other countries didn't grow up speaking English. And if you don't know the phrase, every cloud has a silver lining, or what a playbook is, makes no sense. So, some other titles. Oh, boy. The French called it happiness therapy. <laughs> okay. The Greeks called it optimistic guide. I kind of love it, though. Spain, the good side of things. That works. Latin America, it was game of destiny. That, I actually really like that. That's a good one. Hungary called it Sunny Side. That's cute. Portugal, Guide for Ultimate Happiness. There's a theme here, right? Turkey was called the Light of Hope. Oh, no. Russia. God damn it, Russia. <laughs> My boyfriend is a psycho, an optimist story. That's incredible. <laughs> Thank you, Russia, for being completely unhinged. <laughs> Incomprehensible. I love it. <laughs> I fucking love that. Uh, so, uh, another funny thing that I read. At the time, uh, when the movie came out, they were supposed to air an interview 
with Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence during an actual NFL game, you know, to hype up the movie. Uh-huh. And the NFL said no, because they didn't like the portrayal of gambling. This is 12 years ago. Do you know what happens when you watch NFL games now? I can't avoid getting fucking fan duel ads. The announcers will tell you what the fucking odds are. <laughs> They'll give you the fucking prize picks play of the week. And then when you go to ads, it's fucking Tim Tebow hyping up DraftKings. You get $100 if you vote for... You get $100 if you pick these six people. If you beat the spread, Brett Favre will suck your dick. Like... To be fair, I feel like Brett Favre would suck your dick anyway. No, he'll send you a picture of his dick and then get you fired from your job. <laughs> get fucked, Brett Favre. Brett Favre's a prick. So yeah, there... it's funny how quickly things changed at the NFL. They realized they could make money off of it. Yep. And uh, just over two years ago, it was announced that it's being developed to a Broadway musical. Are you Cause we can't, fucking kidding We can't me. have original things anymore because no one will buy Broadway tickets to an original thing like, I don't know, Hamilton or Wicked. No, you, well, Wicked's not that original, is it? <laughs> that might be defeating my own point. Uh, but yeah, pot everything's got to be. Wicked. Soon <laughs> to be pot eligible. Oh my God, that is based on a book. Christ. Um... And the last thing I want to talk about, I actually have a quote from Jackie Weaver, who played Dolores. And it's when they were shooting the dance scene, the final scene. Quote, I was sitting there with 300 other people in the ballroom watching the dance scene. It's crucial that they get five points in order to win the parlay bet. The judges kept holding up their scores in take after take. I'm not great at math, but I kept adding them up thinking that doesn't add up to five. So I told one of the producers that it didn't average five, and he said, oh my god, and they changed it. So yeah, I saved the film. <laughs> god bless you, Mom. What a, what a treat. And she's a delight in the movie. Like she, She's very charming and cute. Is she friends with Tiffany in the movie? No. Like, the, when Tiffany shows up after, after the Giants game... When he, like, he fucks the bet because the dad bet the cheesesteak shop the first time on the Giants game and they lost because he got in the fight at the tailgate, allegedly. And then Tiffany shows up. She barges in, berates Pat, and everyone's like, what the fuck is going on? And she's like, I'm Tiffany, by the way. (laughs) It's a very funny movie. There's a lot of good humor in it. She, in the book, she ends up, the night that Pat's mom and dad have the fight, Uh, she ends up running into Pat's mom when she's drinking at the bar and actually drives her home. And they slowly, like, bond and become friends. And that's how she's getting information about Pat. Ah. Initially. And then they, uh, they bond and they become actual friends. And it's very cute. Yeah. It feels like the difference between the movie and the book is the book is relentlessly sincere in that way that in that flowers for Algernon way whereas the movie is realistic with a relentlessly sincere character and the rest of the cast is struggling with believing his sincerity 
and quite understanding because they knew him when he wasn't. It feels like um, there's a book that I read ages ago and it's called You Never Promised Me a Rose Garden. And it's about someone who is in a mental hospital because um, she has uh, some she hallucinates, basically. And it is it's about how the worst part for her is when she goes home is everyone is trying so hard to pretend everything's fine. And she's like, I almost wish they would stop pretending because that her the pretending is the worst part. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that's kind of a common theme in things about mental illness is the what breaks the person who has the mental illness is the constant eggshells and pretending. Yeah. And it feels like the movie kind of leans into that in a different way than the book does. Yeah, yeah, because there's there's not a lot of that in the movie, like the eggshells and all that. Everyone's like recognizing that there's a an issue that needs to be addressed. Like he's not allowed to have a phone. He's not allowed to make phone calls. Uh, he's allowed to do that. He just can't have contact with Nikki. Yeah. Uh, so. Would you recommend this book? We already know we have at least one listener who is using us <laughs> as their reading list for 2024. So how do you feel about Mel reading this book? I hate every character, but in like an affectionate way. You are Philly. <laughs> you figured it out. That is who we are. It's just... Everyone in this book sucks, but you love them in spite of it. Mm, pure, <laughs> undiluted Philadelphia right there. My love, I married you. I know. And I'm grateful every day. <laughs> I I would recommend it. I think it's worth a read. And don't go into it expecting the kind of like humor of the movie. Because it is, it is still funny. There are funny moments, but it's less... It's not that same type of humor. Um... I listened to it on an audiobook. It was seven hours. It's not bad. Yeah, it's a breeze. Um, and Matthew Quick is enjoyable. Yeah. What, what about you? Would you recommend the movie? I mean, there's a reason it was nominated for eight Oscars. Like, it's... There is quality top to bottom. Uh, all the, Like, from locations to casting to costuming. Like, I... I was taken back to my childhood seeing those like 2008 Reebok jerseys. Like his, his, uh, oh my God, Deshaun Jackson jersey. I'm like, oh man, like I, I'm going back east this weekend and I want to see if I can find my old like 2004 Terrell Owens jersey. You just, just to, like, got have it. rid of two garbage bags full of t-shirts so and you come I back have with space. Philly's t-shirts. I have room for it. It's fine. Uh, it, like on a personal level, it's like such like a shot of nostalgia and home. Like where it's I grew up. Just a mug of Campbell's soup of nostalgia. Yeah. And as a movie, it's quality. The writing's there. The, the performances are great. I do love how raw the dialogue is. A lot of talking over each other and and talking louder to get your point across without letting the other person finish their point, which is just how people talk. And it's... it. I do like it. I have my nitpicks with it. As you do any movie. Uh, but yeah, of course I recommend it. It's a great movie. Well, I guess that's all we got yeah. on this one. Uh what are we doing next time around? What what dark brooding story 
full of foul language and gratuitous violence and uh naked people are we <laughs> are we talking about next time what what are we talking about next time bill let me check my notes <clears throat> <laughs> The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We're going with a winter theme, so we decided to... You're all snuggled up in your cozy. I am very warm and cozy. And what's what's colder than the lion, the witch, and the audacity of this bitch? <laughs> is Tilda Swinton... Is this her first appearance on the pod? Tilda Swinton? Yeah. Is it? I think it's her first oh, appearance. Oh, boy. Also, uh, something, something. Dark side. (laughs) Something, something C.S. Lewis was a furry. (laughs) I guess in honor of that Freud C.S. Lewis movie that's coming out. Oh my god. (laughs) Sure, that's what we're doing. Uh, But until then, uh, check our link tree in the description. Hit us up on... uh, well, I guess hit me up on Twitter. Cody's not there anymore. Uh, find us on Blue Sky. Reach out to our email. Did we check the email this week? Yeah, there was nothing. Okay. Uh, send us suggestions. Uh, thank you for the suggestion for what we'll be doing in March, Amy. Yes, thank you, Amy. And if you want to know what that is, check uh, the Twitter account at Sue Major Pod. Uh, but <laughs> please, somebody interact with me there. <laughs> I'm so, I'm I don't so give lonely. Um, that's enough rambling. Nice tight hour sixteen. Bye guys, thanks for listening. Later skaters.